Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. One is the latest in one of the most successful film franchises in history. Another is the follow-up to one of the uh, most underrated horror films uh, of the last decade. Both came out this weekend, and both are being reviewed on our podcast today. Thank you so much for listening to the Almost Sideways podcast. Uh, my name is Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Zach, what are you drinking today? I am having some wonderful Paps Blue Ribbon, because when you live life on a budget and you live large... You need a large, uh, what is this, 16-ounce can of uh, absolute junk. So it's wonderful junk, though. The best. That's the best kind of junk. Is It is. Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet would agree. De- Dennis Hopper. Uh, yeah, yeah. Todd, what are you drinking? I'm drinking from the Full Sail Brewing Company... The malted milkshake style IPA, hazy and hoppy, six point eight percent alcohol. Birthday party leftovers, good. huh? Yep, yep. <laughs> nice. There are about five of these, so <laughs> was not the popular one apparently. Yeah. So I have a. This is from. Uh, I'm gonna say it's it's Freem Brewery, P F R I E M. I'm going with the P is silent. I don't know. It's out of Hood River, Oregon. Uh, it is their Pilsner, and the only reason I got it, it's pretty good, but the only reason I got it is because there's a bear on the can, and we're going to be talking about a movie with a bear in it, so uh, that's that's why that's why I went with it. supposed to ignore the is, bear. Is yeah, the movie yeah. The Revenant? Just, just, we're talking about The Revenant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just ignore the bear. All right, well, uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us all over the internet, almostsideways.com. On Facebook, on Twitter, please subscribe, rate, review to us on iTunes for this podcast so uh, more people can find us. Uh, but before we get into into our movies, um, guys, how crazy has been the start of NBA free agency? Who's gonna? Who's the favorite to win the championship now? I mean, are we looking Lakers? Are we looking Clippers? Or is it still the Warriors? Brooklyn? What are we looking at here? I'm gonna say it's still. I'm gonna say it's the Bucks. The Bucks, okay. The Bucks, wow, okay. Well, they had the best record last year, and all these teams need, they always take a year to really get fully acclimated to playing with each other, and that'd be the team that would take advantage of it, kind of like the the Mavericks in 2011. Zach, what are um, you thinking? I kind of like the Bucks to regress a lot, because I feel like when you have a breakout season like that, somewhat out of nowhere, that your second year is a bit of a regression. Um, I would say, gosh, if a gun to my head, I, I wouldn't say Brooklyn because Durant will miss time, and I can't really say the Lakers. I, I guess I would go the Clippers. Why not? I mean, they, they sort of they have the, the coaching infrastructure in place, and uh, right now you'd be hard-pressed to say there's a better player in the NBA than Kawhi Leonard. So uh, why not? Go Clippers. Frankie Muniz would agree. And then combine Kawhi Leonard with Paul George is is pretty crazy. It's insane. Yeah. I I, you, I like I like the idea of the Bucks simply because they have so much less competition because the East is uh, all the good players from the East are gone, right? Except for Brooklyn, but like you said, Durant is going to be 
out for a while. So Brooklyn is it's Kyrie minus the, all the supporting cast he had in Boston. Uh, ugh, I don't know. I, Clippers sound good. I, I, I think you can't underestimate uh, the Warriors too. Everyone's counting the Warriors out. I, I, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if the Warriors end up end up right there again. But uh, absolutely not. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, I, I just had to get that out there. We we love sports too much, not to mention it just a little bit, uh, especially going into one of my favorite weeks of the year, and that's baseball All Star Week. I I think it it's it's the one All Star game that's still worth watching. Um, none of the other ones really are. Could we get a recap of Todd's birthday? Oh, recap of Todd's birthday. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm sure the listeners are on their on on the edge of their toes, but you know, none of them showed up though. Yeah. Oh, dang. I, I mean, we put out that invite very publicly. Mm-hmm. But not the address. Yeah. So. But it couldn't have been that hard to find. I mean, how many, you know, block parties on the 4th of July in the greater Seattle area were there? I mean, you know, it's not that hard to find. Well, there, there was some ping pong. There uh, there was some cornhole. There there was some... Uh, alcohol. Some alcohol. <laughs> some beer, and then... Uh, I had Stro. yeah, and Stro. I had root beer and Stro, which was much better nice. than the burning sensation of uh, of just taking straight a taking a shot of Stro and and it completely decimating your internal organs. Yes, the people who don't know Stro is 160 proof rum that is butterscotch flavored, but it really just kind of tastes like a really really harsh vanilla Coke. And that's three years in a row I've gotten that as the drink of choice. If you if you set the vanilla coke on fire and drink it while the flame is still burning. So you know what this means? This means we have to do a podcast with us drinking straw. (laughs) No. I can only do that like once a year. (laughs) Make it our best of the year podcast. See, you're just going to have to come back for it. We're going to have to do a, a live podcast from the 4th of July party. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, you know, in 362 days, we'll see. There, there, was, there was also a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Todd and I quizzing each other on, uh, on Oscar nominees. Um, that's a game we play, like, every time we get together. And we made, what a shock. We made it all the way. We got through, 2000, got through 2004, right, Todd? Yeah, 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 we got to, yeah, through 2004. Yeah, from most recent to 2004. Even. Yeah, even did screenplays, too. So you went back as far as 2004? Yeah, so from 2018 to 2004. What was the one that stumped you? Oh, what was the biggest one that stumped us this time, Todd? It, it's always Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, yeah, we that that's never going to be remembered. However, <laughs> it might be a little bit more now that we're now that we're looking at screenplays, too. Well, we have trivia today, so and I'm hosting it, so I'll make sure to throw in a question about Grand Budapest. There we go. There we go. All right, all right. So let's uh, let's get into this then, and let's hop into our movie reviews. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. Uh, I don't think we've ever done this before. We're reviewing two movies all together today. And like I said at the top, they are two movies that came out this uh, this last weekend, uh, and two pretty big releases uh, for the summer. You've got the big superhero movie Spider-Man: Far From Home, and then you've got uh, quietly one of the more anticipated movies of the summer, and that is Midsummer. 
uh, from uh, Ari Aster. So let's uh, let's talk about it. We're gonna start with Spider-Man. You're Nick Fury. Put some clothes on. Let's go for a ride. This is Mr. Beck. We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. I think Nick Fury just hijacked our summer vacation. Awesome. And we're gonna go to our our lack of a of an MCU expert in Zach first to explain to us what Spider-Man is all about. And I, I'm gonna preface it by saying we're we're gonna try not to spoil Spider-Man. But uh, there will definitely be some endgame spoilers in there because you can't really talk about this movie without talking a little bit about endgame. I'd say that's I know. Fair. What percentage of people are going to go into this movie not having known the events of endgame? Uh, I hope, like, zero. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, ha- you'd have to think. Because if you go into this movie without knowing uh the uh results of endgame specifically which uh avenger dies um you're you're gonna be in for a a pretty big surprise in the first five minutes of this that's a plural by the way which avengers die oh i guess that's true yeah come on man that that's true all right well spider-man far from home um I have to say, I was really pleasantly surprised by the first uh, of this uh, new iteration of Spider-Man, Spider-Man Homecoming, when it came out two years ago. Um, I really didn't like any of the previous versions of Spider-Man, whether it's Tobey Maguire or uh, Andrew Garfield. And for the simple reason that, like a lot of Marvel movies, they took themselves way too seriously. The actors were miscast, and gosh, those those Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies were just laden with, like, over-the-top Americana bullshit, and I, I, it was really annoying. Anyway, uh, although Spider-Man 3 is, is actually underrated because everyone trashed it so much, and I kind of like it. because it was anyway, horrible. It wasn't that bad. It was horrible. I want, did, did we see that movie together, Terry? I think we went to a midnight showing together. Yeah, yeah, it was, tor- yeah, and I, I don't know, I like, you know, the scene where Spider-Man's dancing with uh, Mary Jane. Anyway. Terrible. Um, yeah, yeah, well, okay. Uh, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming I really enjoyed, and uh, that success continues with Spider-Man Far From Home, a movie that I also really enjoyed. Um, I think part of what makes this new Tom Holland Spider-Man so refreshing is that uh, he's actually a teenager, unlike... Uh, you know, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, who were obviously in their 20s and maybe even 30s when they made those movies. Um, you know, this kid has like a crackly voice. He's short. He's uncertain. Um, he's kind of go- uh, goofy. Um, and uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is the continuation of uh, him sort of not just developing and polishing his powers, but also kind of finding himself um, where where he stands in the world of the MCU, which obviously now we're going to get into spoilers. This movie opens with uh, shortly after the events of Avengers Endgame have, have taken place. Uh, Tony Stark has died. There's a wonderful moving tribute to Tony Stark at the beginning of this movie that I just love as a, as a high school video teacher. It was just absolutely perfect, right down to the horrible green screen. Um, and uh, so what's cool about this movie is... And, and, along with it being refreshing and and different than the earlier Spider-Man, is that there's not a whole lot of relationship to the rest of the MCU. There's certainly the afterthought of Tony Stark, and some of the MCU uh, Avengers and other characters are mentioned in this movie, but really this is mostly a standalone movie. Nick Fury is really the only major MCU character uh, who appears um, in this movie. And uh, again, I really like that. I don't like the incestuous intermingling of, of the MCU movies. It really gets on my nerves. But this movie really stands on its own, and the truth is you don't 
really have to know that much about the uh, the chronology of events in the MCU to understand this movie. Um, the plot is that uh, Peter Parker and his friends from high school, including uh, MJ and uh, Ned and Betty, they are on a uh, school field trip to uh, Europe. I don't know how many high schools have field trips to Europe, but I guess they come from a, you know, a, 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 a pretty uh, high high quality high school. Um, and then uh, over the course of the film, um, we see a disaster strike, and Spider-Man has to uh, manifest his powers once again, and but still somewhat in disguise because uh, MJ doesn't really know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. The villain in this movie is played by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, in, as a character named Mysterioso, and at first he sort of appears to be maybe a potential ally of Spider-Man, but then his ulterior motives are revealed. I don't think that's giving too much away because I think that even the trailers kind of show that to a certain extent. Um, over the course of the movie, Spider-Man is is the uh, basically mentored by two characters, uh, Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson, and then Happy Hogan, John Favreau, who I guess is another MCU character, but a somewhat fringe MCU character from the Iron Man movies. It's clear that both characters see Spider-Man as the logical uh, extension, the logical next generation of uh, of Tony Stark, and there's even uh, some glasses that Spider-Man gets to wear that gives him some of Tony Stark's powers. They kind of play an integral role in the plot. Um, the plot is kind of ridiculous, but what I like about this movie is that, like Spider-Man Homecoming, it doesn't take itself too seriously in the plot. In fact, even the action scenes in this movie kind of go by pretty quickly. It doesn't you know, go into these, these excessive uh, action mono mono sequences that drag on and on like we've seen in many other Avengers movies. Um, I realized that this is now the third uh, MCU movie we've reviewed in the last couple months, and it's also going to be the third one I give a thumbs up to, which I think a year ago would have made me sick to say. I actually like this one more than uh, Captain Marvel or Avengers Endgame. It's fun. It's light. P uh, the actors are really charismatic. I, I really like what uh, Tom Holland and Zendaya do to their characters. Characters. They make them unique and very different than previous versions of them. And uh, it's, you know what, this is a perfect summer movie. Let the summer movies begin. This was fun, exciting. I want I almost want to give it three and a half stars, but I think it's just because uh, I'm enthusiastic about uh, actually really liking a Marvel movie instead of having to give it obligatory three stars because it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I actually enjoyed this movie. Solid fun. Three stars. All right. Todd, what'd you think? Uh, I don't really agree necessarily. I, I don't really think there's a whole lot of point to having this movie. I mean, it hardly wraps anything up, and it really doesn't set anything else up. It's like, I, it uses the other movies, I feel like, as props uh, to make you care about these characters and what's going on, but I don't think it's an Avengers-worthy plot, like, as Mysterio thought it was. Uh, I know Tom Holland, I think he's just like naive and annoying as spider-man like i mean if he was half as street smart as he was book smart then none of this would even be necessary but i guess you don't apologize for being the smartest guy in the room he just isn't street smart i don't uh, zendaya i think is good she she's like proving that she actually could be a subtle actress she's she looks just as strung out as she does in euphoria though which is i think is interesting and i don't i don't like gyllenhaal in this at all like i i don't, I don't think he's believable he just and in that suit he just kind of looks like a jackass <laughs> I I don't know. I he's clearly really advanced, but he's also really reckless in his plot. So I don't really understand how he actually got as far as he did. I I I like that there are some Easter eggs in the movie, but it's like I mean I I don't also don't think it's necessarily as funny or as clever. I the end credit scenes like they accomplish something which is new, but I don't really think it 
necessarily matters all that much because it definitely is closing the door. I I guess objectively it's probably a better Spider-Man than Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, structurally and visually it's pretty outstanding, but I think it's inconsequential and almost like a standalone movie, which I don't think is what they want to accomplish with this type of thing. I mean, like, uh, Ned kept saying, you know, like, I know what's going to happen, I play enough video games, and I, I honestly feel like that describes this movie. This is like a video game plot. It's like a series of video game cutscenes that aren't necessarily uh, fully uh, developed and don't really add up to a, a full movie. I don't know. I, I I didn't really like it that much, but I still think it's better than Spider-Man Homecoming, so I guess I have to give it two and a half stars. Wow, that that is that is such a resounding uh, <laughs> uh, review there, Todd. Uh, I'm I'm gonna agree with Zach on this one. I I would say after Endgame. Uh, this Spider-Man movie was possibly one of my most anticipated films coming out the rest of the year, just to see what was going to be the first step post-Endgame that the MCU was going to take. I was fascinated by what was going to happen. And and one thing that Todd said that is right is it didn't really do too much uh, in terms of setting up what's going to happen next. And in fact, just only a couple months ago... Uh, Kevin Feige and the powers that be in the MCU said that this isn't the start of the new series. It's actually the the completion and the conclusion of the Infinity Saga. So this is kind of wrapping up what had been happening before they start into what's going to be happening, which would make sense why it's a little bit more of a standalone film. And a lot of the MCU movies are standalone films. But I I love the characters. Uh, Tom Holland is probably the best Spider-Man we've ever had. Um, I felt like the plot was very similar to Iron Man 3, except it it accomplished so much better what Iron Man 3 was trying to do, and uh, and I, I gotta give it credit for that. Um, yeah, I, I had fun with it. it it's, it's really hard for me not to have a good time in these movies. Um, I, and I, I told Todd this before he saw it. Uh, the the mid credit scene has possibly the best cameo in uh, in MCU history, um, I, I, and uh, and like you said, it actually accomplishes something in that moment too, and and does something that's going to have lasting ramifications uh, moving forward. But yeah, I'm giving it three stars. I I really liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I I was. I was drawn into it the whole time, and uh, and yeah, I love these characters, and I love seeing what they do. I also do like when uh, when Mary Jane has that weapon near the end. Like I was like, man, is she gonna be like the next badass that we talk about, like Bo Peep and Sister Margaret? You know, because <laughs> she totally could be one. I, I, we might be the only people ever to compare Bo Peep and Sister Margaret, and now it's happened on two different podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, yes, that is a good point. I loved seeing Happy too. Having Happy Hogan in there, John Favreau back in. Oh, come on. Okay, so Happy perfect... essentially is now just Bosley. Like I kept pretty thinking much. that I was like, he, he's doing nothing but being Bosley now. That's pretty much what he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, he served pretty much the same purpose for Tony too. Yeah, but I now think... he was like half like the second main character in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I I love his. Uh... I love the subplot in this movie that involves Happy and, and Aunt May. That's that's pretty awesome. And Marissa Tomei is great in this movie, as usual. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, I mean, I, it's hard to... 
imagine like he's the first person to hit on Han Aunt May. I mean, I don't know. Well, I yeah, thought that was kind of predictable. Tony did it the first time we met her. So. <laughs> I would also agree with Todd's point, though, that the, the, the villain in this movie, the Jake Gyllenhaal character, is pretty lame. His little space helmet thing kept reminding me that he looked like a Martian from the movie Mars Attacks. But it's... Uh, <laughs> He's wearing I, like a fishbowl on his head. Yeah, That's it's like, like a fishbowl helmet. Yeah. But I don't know. I, in, in the echelon of great Marvel... Oh, but also, I forgot to mention this in my synopsis. I actually thought that Jake Gyllenhaal was the Prince of Persia for the first, like, half hour of this movie. I didn't realize yeah. that Prince of Persia wasn't an MCU movie, so I thought they were trying to do some kind of crossover. <laughs> he does pretty much have the same suit. Especially in that first scene. It's like, oh, it's the Prince of Persia, right? But Don't talk like guess... that in wine country. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and this this is why we have you review it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it, it sounds like two of us enjoyed it. One of us is not so not wrong. so keen on it. Yeah, one of two of this us enjoyed like it. 90, one of us is It's like a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, this is one of the hot, best reviewed MCU movies ever. So I, I, th- I think Todd's off the mark on this one. Well, I think part of that is because, like I said, it had such high expectations coming out of Endgame of what they were going to do. And they took it in such a different direction and made it kind of its own standalone thing that it couldn't really be thought of as that follow-up, yet it still was in some ways. I don't know. I, I, I thought it worked really well. I think critics are afraid to give uh, thumbs down to Marvel movies. I think they don't give thumbs down to Marvel movies because they're just good. I mean, I've given thumbs down to, what, two Maybe three Marvel Marvel movies total. Yeah, but you're a fan. I'm not. You can't tell me every journalist that writes about movies is a fan of Marvel, but they all give thumbs up to these movies, even regardless of how trivial they are. Like even Captain Marvel had great reviews. That movie sucked. Like that <laughs> yeah. objectively sucked. <laughs> I heard some people do the do like their mid year report, and a lot of people are were like putting it in their top five of the year so far. And I'm like, how in the world is Captain Marvel even being considered that high? Yeah, I don't get that. But Spider-Man is much better. I think everyone would say Spider-Man is much better. Well, it's better than Homecoming, at least. That's good. I liked Homecoming. I liked Homecoming, too. Yeah. And it might be better than than uh, Homecoming. Can, can we... All right. So I think Zach and I are, are agreeing that Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man we've had. Todd, what do you, what do you say? Well, I would go with Nicolas Cage as the... Uh noir spider-man well there oh, is that well that yeah yeah and spider pig spider ham whatever his name was spider ham <laughs> that's not spider pig that's the that's the simpsons that's thing. the simpsons thing <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if they realized that when they made that movie oh, i'm sure they did i'm sure they did i also like but yeah i mean holland holland's a better peter parker than than toby Maguire for sure and i mean andrew garfield i feel like was okay his movies just weren't very good yeah, I really think he he really has gotten a bad rap recently of just being horrible. But I mean, Amazing Spider-Man was was a decent movie, and Amazing Spider-Man two they just did just didn't work, and it just ruined his entire reputation. But I remember when that came out, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, Andrew Garfield's so much better than Tobey Maguire," and yeah, now he's just getting crapped on, com- completely. But, Revisionist history. I know. I know. 
Okay, so uh, three stars from Zach, three stars from me, two and a half stars from Todd. Uh, this is one of those movies that, I mean, you're going to see it if you're going to see it. You're not if you're not. But uh, but now you know what we thought of it. Uh, it's definitely a solid, uh, I think all of us can say it's a solid entry into the into the MCU. Even Todd, two and a half isn't, isn't horrible. So, uh, so, yeah. It's not Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah, it's no Captain Marvel. It's no Thor. First Thor. I think that's still my worst one of all of them. I just didn't didn't get that one. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Okay. Moving on to our our second movie that we are reviewing and that is uh Midsummer. Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skull! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. Uh, written and directed by Ari Aster. This uh, Ari Aster uh, burst on the scene last year with his hit Hereditary. Uh, going into this, uh, I, I will say this, I have not seen Hereditary, um, but everyone was really excited for this as the follow-up to, uh, to Hereditary and what was he going to do next. And, and I, think, uh, I think he's showed, uh, from what I've heard about Hereditary and how, uh, how amazing and groundbreaking it was, I think he showed that he's, he's got some definite um, staying power in in this genre and i think it's i find it kind of interesting that you have uh you have ari aster and jordan peele both coming out with their their follow-up horror films um and i think they're they're similar yet taking it in different ways but um let's talk a little bit about midsummer it is the story of a group of college friends that uh that decide to uh follow their uh their swedish buddy back to uh back to sweden to celebrate a traditional uh, midsummer summer solstice uh, ritual. Uh, he grew up on on this small commune out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, and some of them are are studying anthropology and really interested in in this uh, in what they're doing and and uh, this this uh, tradition that they've created for themselves. And so you have you have this crew uh, that's led by uh, Christian, Josh, uh, and Mark. And they are heading out to uh, with uh, with Christian's girlfriend Danny to to Sweden with their buddy Pele, and they they are constantly caught off guard by everything that's happening um, in this commune. And then they really start to notice that things are not what they appear to be, as they start to see some of the darker sides of this uh, of this commune of this tradition of uh of the, the this ritual that they are now a part of and uh can't 
seem to be able to leave. Um, this is a movie that, uh, if I were to describe this movie in one word, that word would be hypnotic. Uh, it, a, as you're going along, it is just constantly lulling you into whatever is going on. And, uh, and this is a movie Todd and I saw together and, and, and the, I thought hypnotic and the word Todd used immediately was patient. And I agree with that too. It was a very patient movie as it, as it slowly kind of built into what it was doing. And, um, and with the, the hypnotic feeling of the, of the cinematography of the score, um, of just the, the visuals that you're seeing, it pulls you in and you are completely entranced by what's going on in a similar way that all the characters are completely entranced by what's going on. Um, when you get to uh, to some of the some of the uh, the moments that happen later on, uh, as you start to see the horrors that are actually happening, um, they don't feel horrible because you're just so tied into these characters, tied into what's happening uh, in in what's uh, in what's there. Florence Pugh uh, plays Danny and gives an amazing performance. I can't wait to see her and more stuff moving forward. Uh, I I loved this movie. I thought it was amazing. I'm giving it three and a half stars, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I had it's one of those I haven't been able to shake since I watched it. I'm not really sure why, but it's it's just it's just a solid solid movie um, and uh, and a real trip. So uh, Zach, what do you think? All right. Well, uh, Ari Aster is a really fascinating filmmaker. Um, he, we're on the cusp of someone who's really ma- starting to make it big uh, in the industry. He's signed with A24, and uh, this was a movie that went into production, you know, basically off the good reviews that Hereditary got. Um, I saw Hereditary. I gave it a two-and-a-half-star review. I, I thought um, it was a really fascinating film. It did a lot of things different than uh, a lot of horror movies do. It, one of the trademarks that I think he's developing is that he doesn't rely on jump scares, which is so refreshing mm-hmm. for horror films. There, there aren't a whole lot of jump scares in this movie. Actually, I really can't even think I, of I any. I can't think of any either. It, it's, it's much more like a slow burn type thing. If there's any kind of comparison, I think there's there's some odes in this movie to, in his filmmaking style to like Stanley Kubrick. And um, there are certainly like shocking things that you witness, but they're not jump scares. Um, and the way that he uses sound effects and sort of ambient noise is really interesting too. The reason I gave Hereditary two and a half stars though is because I thought it, it, was, it, it was developing in this way that I thought was really interesting. And then the last half hour went absolutely apeshit crazy. And I didn't, I, I thought it was sort of a cop out. Um, it got really too surreal and uh, I don't know it just felt sort of like a, a desperate screenwriter who didn't know how to finish his, his film this though uh, does not have those problems Midsummer is uh, really I agree with both of your descriptions hypnotic uh, excellent yeah uh, it's uh, I, I like how he takes his time uh, to develop the characters and their motivations and their obstacles um, really Ari Aster has said that he wrote this movie after a tough breakup that he experienced in his life and he sort of uh, wrote this movie as a breakup movie in fact he was partially inspired by the albert brooks movie um, modern romance in the early 80s um which is a comedy which is another thing about this movie is that there are some 
comic moments in this movie that sort of take you by surprise. Um, I saw this movie with a pretty big audience, and these were, I, I would not necessarily say, I don't want to sound like uh, elitist, but these were not the most sophisticated filmgoers in the world. I think these are the type, the, the people I saw it with were kind of like the Eli Roth type horror filmgoers, and they were laughing during a lot of like the final 30 minutes of this movie. So it's hard to say whether, because there are some things that are just so outrageous that happen at the end of this movie. I don't know if it was meant to be funny um, or, or not. Um, I didn't think they were particularly funny, but they were shocking. Um, I thought this, I thought the rituals component of the movie was, was really fascinating. I love the performance by Florence Pugh. I mean, I think she's, you know, a, a great up-and-coming actress. I really liked her work in Fighting With My Family and, and Lady Macbeth. Uh, the performances all around were, were excellent. Um, this was a movie that is two hours and 25 minutes, and I didn't look at my watch once. Uh, it, and and it's only, it only has one setting, too. It, it really, um, except for the first, like, 20, 25-minute setup, the whole movie takes place at this kind of campsite in Sweden. I think the way that he uses special effects are, is subtle, but significant um, in kind of showing the, the drug trippiness of it and uh, yeah it's sort of like a mix of Get Out and The Wicker Man and um, it really really works uh, I'm excited to see what Ari Aster comes up with next this is a three and a half star film alright Todd where are you at on this one so you're saying we'll be watching his career with great interest as <laughs> yes, Palpatine would exactly. say <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think Ari Aster is, is a, yeah, he's a really interesting dude. I mean, I think this movie is definitely him feeling himself a bit, though. Like, I mean, he's getting cocky. He's This movie is really indulgent, and it's two and a half hours long, and it didn't really need to be that long, but he just really lets the scenes develop, and he, like, has times where he just, like, puts the camera down and, like, l lets everything happen on screen, and he doesn't move it, and it just seems like it lasts quite a while, but everything kind of makes sense because he, he really does have a really unique vision. I mean, he's only 31 years old, so, I mean, it, I don't know how he developed all this, like, expertise. He definitely does have some Kubrick in him. I, I like that comparison. But he's really good at, like, building suspense. Because, like, I mean, from the moment that they get to Sweden and they all decide to, like, trip balls on mushrooms and then Danny has a bad trip, you kind of have this, like, sense of impending doom. And, the, and like, it mixed with, like, his loud, like, really robust, disturbing music that happens, uh, it, makes, it, it, uh, it makes you feel dread even when what you're watching isn't necessarily all that disturbing by comparison. And I, I think it, I, I think it, I, I mean, it's, it's ambitious. It's what, it's definitely more bizarre than, uh, than hereditary. And, uh, yeah, the Wicker Man is definitely the right comparison. I mean, he's clearly was inspired by that. And it, it, I think it's interesting too, that Peel was like inspired by things like the Stepford Wives. Like, so we're like bringing back ourselves to like these 1970s and Rosemary's Baby was, uh, what inspired hereditary. Like these early, early seventies, late sixties movies are like becoming, uh, like sort of remade in a different light now, which I think is really cool. I, I do like all the actors. Um, I, I think particularly Will Poulter does something different in this movie. He, he definitely is a douche, but he's he's really good at, at that, which I wouldn't have suspected because I always thought he was just kind of awkward. But it's a really cool uh, ensemble cast, and I, I think the, the staging is brilliant. I think the landscapes and cinematography are really good. I, I don't think everything works because he does throw, like, the kitchen sink at you in this movie, but, uh, I mean, it keeps you guessing, and I think it's kind of fascinating to watch. I, I don't necessarily think it's a three-and-a-half-star movie. I think it's more of a solid three stars, but I, I do really want to see what he does next. Yeah, can, can we please petition that Will Poulter is in more movies? I mean, I've always been a fan of his. I thought he should have been nominated for an Oscar for what he did in Detroit a couple years ago. 
yeah, he needs to be in more stuff. And no, leaving the theater, Todd and I kept quoting to each other, um, uh, she's gonna show me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, she's gonna show me. As he, as he walks away. <laughs> yeah, he, he was sort of just like, I, I like how they, the one guy was there because he was doing his, you know, thesis on, like, these midsummer festivals, like, in different countries, and the other, one guy was just sort of confused, and he took his girlfriend because she had just, like, had some really bad news that she got, but, I mean, Will Poulter's character is just there to party, which is not how you want to go into this, like, cult thing, and I think that's kind of awesome. <laughs> it, made, it made him the comic relief for the entire film. It really did. Yeah, you have to watch out where you're peeing. <laughs> yeah. It's the lesson of the movie. Or else there's some dire consequences. <laughs> I think some guy's still still raw about his dead wood or whatever it was that he said. His, his dead tree. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, there's only really two flaws that I found in this movie. And um, one of them was that, I, and maybe it had to do a little bit with the Will, Will Poulter character, but um, I, at a certain point, I felt that the character's they we needed them to be stupid because uh what possibly sane person would stay at this ritualistic campsite um and that's a horror movie trope a cliche really it's not that's not a flaw they were drugged most of the time that's that's why they stayed they didn't know any better and they were like freaking out because they were hallucinating so they didn't want to leave because that's what they knew at the time yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, like, there, there's a couple of characters in the... Well, there's also a couple of, like, British characters in the movie that are, like... Well, I, but, but, again, it's, it's a relatively minor flaw. The other flaw that... I don't know, again, if it's a flaw, but it's sort of interesting in the story construction. I don't know how necessary the first 20 minutes of this movie are. Um, it's, it, it certainly makes you think that the movie is going in a certain direction, and the events of the first 20 minutes are discussed in the movie, but they never really... I didn't feel like play a major role in the story outside of the first 20 minutes. I think the first 20 minutes totally play in the, uh, in the motivations of, of Danny and why she's there and and how her story arc concludes really. That's true. I mean, it's not, again, it's just, it's not a major issue, but like he spent a lot of time on those first 20 minutes. And what I sort of got out of it is that the point of those 20 minutes were to show a character in desperation and then another character who's just a total douchebag. But well, and, and, and just the, the, the dynamic of the group too, that you're going to be, you're going to be going, going on this journey with. Yeah, this is also a really great 2019 movie in the sense that I'm sure there are a lot of theories on the internet about what these ritualistic symbols mean and, you know, the the symbolism of everything. I read a really great theory online that, uh, you know how in this movie they talk a little bit about how the, this uh, cult believe this... this um, ritualistic society believes that human life is split into four parts you know uh uh, spring is your zero to 18 years old summer is 18 to 36 uh fall is uh uh 36 to 54 and then winter is 54 to 72 well if you think about danny how old is she she's in her mid-20s probably right yeah which would be early 20s i'd say i think they're all like around 22 which would be mid-summer Get it? Because some, yeah, yeah, mind blowing, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Thought it through out there, but yeah, Ari Aster, genius, awesome filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Genius after one movie you didn't like, <laughs> and one you did. 
Well, I mean, this is a totally original movie, I, and we we have talked a little bit about some of its derivations or some of its homages. But like, man, in 2019, it's so hard to come come by a movie that is like just a totally original concept. And uh, I don't know, I, I give him props; he's awesome. And, and so during that one ceremony at the cliff, like there was a lady behind us that that said. Boy, this director really has a thing with severed heads. And I was like, or like, she's really got a thing with heads. And I was like, well, yeah, because there's that one in Hereditary, like, the one shocking moment, and then, like, a couple of heads in this one. I think that's interesting. It's kind of fascinated by that. And awkward sex scenes. That uh, well, and, and awkward nudity, too. Awkward male nudity. Both movies. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, when. As I was talking, I, I mentioned I mentioned Jordan Peele and kind of going along with Zach what you said, of of it's it's refreshing to to see this where you've got you've got two uh, writer directors, two filmmakers, kind of in the same genre that are showing they definitely have some influences, but are doing things that are completely original and completely fresh and completely new instead of doing remakes. Uh, there are so many remakes and retreads out there. They are coming up with fresh new stories and and doing it in their own way. And I think, I, I mean, I think both of them are going to end up being kind of this this event uh, event moments when their films come out. People are going to flock to the theaters. Why? Because it's theirs. Um, and and that's what that's what you need. Uh, I think that's what you need for for really the film industry to keep going is you need people to, to go see original stuff, even if it's just because of who's putting it out. That's going to be so much better than just more reboots, more remakes, more sequels. Well, and you're talking about the, the story. I mean, just the visual style of this movie. Like, think about if this movie, this movie, the, the plot-wise, it could have very very easily have been, like, a Blumhouse movie. It could have been a James Wan movie or even an Eli Roth movie. And the fact that his visual style, like Todd was kind of saying, is, I, I you know, so, like, I don't know, sophisticated. I, it really elevates this movie and makes it something that um, you can be a horror fan and enjoy, but also be a true cineast and enjoy. So... Yeah, it's it's not a slasher. Like I mean, it easily could have been a slasher, but it's not. It's uh, yeah, it's something much deeper. And yeah, it, it definitely does feel like Kubrick, Polanski, that kind of like real quality filmmaker making uh, a genre movie that that uh, they just don't really do. <laughs> what was that word you used, Zach? Cineast. Yes. Yeah, is, is that yeah. is that like the pretentious cinephile? Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> There's a cinephile and cineast. Yeah. And... All right. Well, but this movie is thrice approved. Uh, Midsummer thrice approved from uh, from us. So definitely go out and see this one. Um, it, it'll it'll definitely be a be a fun trip to the movies for you. Can you trip. just if you go definitely see this trip. movie? Yes. Can you not talk during the movie and like try to refrain from laughing inappropriately? Yes. This movie because that so also happened at Hereditary times. too. Yeah. This movie is so like, quiet that that yeah any any talking any any just, yeah. I mean, you're gonna see crazy shit happen. Just be ready for it. You don't need to like exclaim anything or like you know scream or laugh. You just just sit there and enjoy it, okay? But America, I mean, it does please. lend to quite a few laughs, though. I mean, and and th that's by design. There are some like one-liners, especially by the Will Poulter. I mean, it it doesn't. I don't think that you need to be in complete silence because I think I, he I, is looking true. for some levity, like you know. 
like the like the, there's so many dicks in here how am i supposed to masturbate you know like that kind of thing it's like <laughs> will polter is like the voice of, not the line I thought he, he's the voice of like all of the eli roth horror fans that are at this movie it's like man what's gonna happen next dude this is nuts that that's that's he's just that voice of reason to keep everything grounded he was just trying to get laid by that girl that looks like Tessa Formiga that I still convinced that was her, but I don't think it was. <laughs> I want to give her a bath. <laughs> I want to give her a bath. <laughs> See, I think you're supposed to laugh at that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't think that wasn't the, to... But that's not the... St- I mean, yes, that's funny, but like... The awkwardness that it, causes the... people to laugh because they don't know what else to do. Yeah, I mean, there is, there's also a really funny, like, uh, almost like scribe or like uh you know the the, the visual like a, there's a, a moving camera that shows like a visual story almost like a comic that that was kind of funny i guess but yeah i don't know it, th- when the guy missed his landing thing. spot and the the lady is like walking wa- like grabs that like giant mallet that's bigger than she is i was like what yeah that is kind of funny too <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was pretty awesome <laughs> Well, the fact that they took the mallet with them shows a kind of foresight that is admirable. It, it, it wasn't it's been an issue it wasn't in the past. A first. These people are it's been an issue in the past, yes. <laughs> I, I can imagine, like, the first time they did this, like, we're going to need a giant mallet next time. Write this <laughs> <Yeah>. down. <laughs> they probably had worse ideas in the past. Like, we'll just yeah. throw a rock from the top or something. <laughs> oh, man, we gotta we got to take it back up to the top. <laughs> take it back. We'll toss him this time. <laughs> no one knows what we're talking. Nobody about. knows what. We're, if you've they seen the movie, you know exactly it. what you, what we're talking about. Go see it. Okay. Moving on into uh, into our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Last time on power rankings, I won, which put our uh, our uh, points to what, Todd? What is our what is our standings as of this moment? Uh, I am still somehow in the lead with thirteen point three, and Terry took. Uh, second place with 13 or no 8.3 and zach has 8.1 there we go and then ben still has his point three yeah because whatever because whatever now i uh i decided that i was going to be kind and relinquish my uh my right to choosing our power rankings to poor old miserable zach because it had been way too long since he had chosen a category so he begged to choose a category for this podcast. So, Zach, tell us what we are counting down today. We're counting down the biggest douchebags in film history, in part because we have that as a category during our deep dives. And frankly, that's I, I think it's one of my, our best categories. It's always generates the, the some of the best conversation. And so, uh, you know, we're opening up to the entire range of film history. And TV. <coughs> and, TV. and TV. I didn't know that. But there are plenty of douches on TV, there too. There are. Okay. So, uh, biggest douchebags uh, in film and TV. Todd, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, give me your uh, your number five. Okay. So, uh, this was actually suggested by my sister because I was having a conversation <laughs> with her about this. And she heard the first thing out of her mouth, pretty much, was Schmidt from New Girl. And that is... <laughs> 
as douchey of a character as you get. I mean, he goes by Schmidt. It's not even his real name, which tells you something. And then they have a douchebag jar in that show where they he has to donate to it every time he says something douchey. So you know that he is the definition of a douchebag. His look, his attitude, everything just it, it just defines the arrogance that uh, a classic douchebag would get. I mean, it's so deep-seated in his personality that he doesn't even realize it. It's almost by accident. And, yeah, it had to be mentioned. That's That's definitely got to be on anybody's list who's seen New Girl. That's my number five. Uh, that is a great choice. Yes, wow. thank you, Trisha. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to go next. Uh, so for my list, I stuck uh, exclusively to films, and uh, and I tried to do something that we've had as a stipulation on our, on our uh, list in the past. I tried to go one per decade, uh, which made this kind of tough um, for some of the decades, I think, lend to much douchier characters uh but i'm going with it so uh my number five is the wizard from the wizard of oz uh this is this is quite quite the douchebag this guy who just kind of falls out of the sky on a hot air balloon and uh sets up some uh some flashing lights and pyrotechnics to uh convince an entire land that he is this great and powerful wizard um, and all it took was a tiny little dog to pull the curtain aside to show that he was a complete fraud. And then he's like, oh, I can help you. I'm going to give you a diploma to prove that you have a brain. And I'm going to give you a clock for your heart. What? The, he's, he's an idiot. And he's a total douchebag in how he handles the entire thing. And pretending he's something so much more than he is. I'm going number five, the wizard from the Wizard of Oz. Wow. He's just—he's just masking his insecurity and his douchiness. Exactly. Though. That doesn't make him any more any less of a douche, though. All right, Zach, number five. <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting choice. Um, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if we're going to recover from from Schmidt on New Girl. That was such a great pick. Wow. That's inspired. It's kind right of making there. me reevaluate. Well, well my if you life. had TV, I mean. <laughs> That's true. I I also like Terry. Didn't go with TV. Um, but I also didn't go with every decade. In fact, there's a lot from the same yeah, decade on my list as I look now. Um, anyway, uh, I'm going to start. My number five pick comes from uh, the great uh, Academy Award winning movie from 1997, Titanic. And that character is Cal Hockley, played by Billy Zane. Oh, great he call. Is the, he is the fiancé of Rose, played by Kate Winslet. And uh, he's a total douchebag. You know, you have to distinguish between douchebags and villains. And Cal runs, he, he straddles the line a little bit, you know. But you would never call, like, Darth Vader a douchebag. A douchebag doesn't quite have the ambition to be a total villain. He's just a douchebag. Anyway, uh, Cal Hockley is a douchebag because he doesn't even recognize the greatness of Picasso. He thinks it's ridiculous and insane that the Titanic would ever sink. Um, you know, he's, he's a total uh, douchebag. He, he tries to set up uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio character, Jack, to, to look like, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he kicked Rose off the boat. Um, you know he's very sexist. Uh, he uh, he thinks he's a master of the universe, uh, but he's not. And then uh, at, at the very end, oh gosh! I mean, he tries. He even tries to pretend that he has a, a little daughter so he can get on on a boat. I mean, he's terrible. Fortunately, he does apparently die from self-inflicted wounds during the Great Depression at the stock market crash. So a fate he deserves. But uh, one of the all-time biggest douches in movie history. Probably ruined Billy Zane's career. He can never play anything but a douche. I always win, Jack. I always win. 
Yeah, I, I, I noticed as I was going through, the 90s really lend themselves to douchebag characters. I don't know what it was, but the, the 90s had a lot of them. Okay, Todd, number four. Okay, my number four. I, I honestly feel like this actor, could every one of his roles could be considered this. Uh, but for Timothy Oliphant, I went with Detective Drykoff in uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. And uh, his character in The Girl Next Door was really close to making my list here. But yeah, I mean, uh, Drykov has the perfect look of a douchebag. It's the hair, it's the eyes, the jacket. I Every line he says is sarcastic, but it's with this half smile because he knows he's being clever. You just want to punch him in the face, and I feel like that is a definite sign of a douchebag. I mean, he is hilarious, but I don't know. He, everything he says just heightens his douchiness just with that that look and i think that's just timothy oliphant like i saw him on uh, the rich eisen show one time and he i was just like why why do i still want to punch him like i know that he's in there he's cool but geez but yeah detective Drykov is one of one of my favorite characters he's played that is amazing she, she can you. be mean <laughs> oh. homicide specifically ordered you know <laughs> yeah all right, uh, number four on my list is uh, from the 2000s, and uh, this was another one that was a hotly contested spot, but I went with Aldous Snow from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, played by Russell Brand. Uh, Good yeah, yeah, this nice. is like the definition of a douchebag here. Uh, the British rock star, uh, entitled idiot, uh, just exudes douchiness and really set up Russell Brand for having an actual like acting career for quite a while just having this role that he just fit him like a glove and uh and it was it it made the movie what it was um and it's definitely all the snow in forgetting Sarah Marshall I kind of want to forget that get him to the Greek exists because it kind of ruined the character but uh but yeah all the snow forgetting Sarah Marshall he's my number four can you sing the song, Terry? Inside of you. Inside of you. you. <laughs> Inside of you. There's got to be some room for me. Inside of you. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh-huh. I, I, I like you've got to do something, too. That's a good. That's another good one. All right. Uh, Zach, number four. All right, my number four comes from the 2011 movie Crazy Stupid Love, and it is the character of David Linghagen, played by Kevin Bacon. And uh, in the movie, you know, Kevin Bacon was meant to, to play a douchebag. I mean, think of all the great douchebags he has played over the years. Start, you know, A Few Good Men, um, and uh, uh, you, you could maybe even ca- make the case that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jack might have been a douchebag in uh, Apollo 13, but he, he attains new levels of douche, douchiness and crazy, stupid love. He plays a, a character who has an affair with Steve Carell's wife, played by Julianne Moore in the movie. And over the course of the movie, Steve Carell this prompts Steve Carell into a self, uh, you know, a spiraling out of control. That eventually he's redeemed through the character of Ryan Gosling, and they they do sort of a male makeover over the course of the film. But uh, sadly, Steve Carell never quite gets over the uh, extramarital affair that his wife has with David Linghagen, played by Kevin Bacon, who shows up uh, you know, throughout the movie in these really douchey, um, annoying ways. Um, and uh, actually, by the end of the movie, everyone really hates this character, and uh, he gets ultimately his comeuppance at, 
this hilarious birthday party that if you've seen the movie, you probably remember from the movie. Um, anyway, Kevin Bacon is, a, you know, the, he, he's the actor who should be uh, every, you know, if, if you're thinking douchebag, hire Kevin Bacon for your movie. And uh, yes, Crazy Stupid Love is, is, a, is a good role for him. So, number four. All right. All right. That, I like it. That's a good choice. Todd, number three. My number three is Michael Sarah as Michael Sarah in This Is the End. Now, <laughs> everything about how he portrays himself like constitutes douchiness. Like, I mean, he looks like an asshole, and then he like does a line of coke and then slaps Rihanna on the ass. Like, he's such a douchebag that Seth Rogen and Evan Wilberg were like, "Yeah, we hated Michael on set so much that we decided we're just gonna change the script and impale him with a light post." Like every. <laughs> It's it's all. I mean, he's great at playing these types of characters. I mean, you wonder if it's not actually like how he actually is because I mean, I, I thought Player X in Molly's Game was actually a, a real close uh, second uh, Michael Cera yes. douchebag. But yes. yeah, that yeah. I mean, one of those had to be on there, and I, I chose Michael Cera as Michael Cera because I mean, I think that was by design. <laughs> nice, nice. That's a good one. Thank you. I, I like how we went about this, like, completely different ways. I don't think we'll have any overlap. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. Okay, uh, number three on my list is, uh, I guarantee you, none of you are going to have this one. Uh, this is the character of Lance from the 2016 animated movie Sing. Uh, the, this is uh, this is the uh, the porcupine voiced by Beck Bennett that is the, uh, the boyfriend of uh, Scarlett Johansson's Ash. Uh, and, uh, and he's this like hardcore douchey rock star. And, uh, and by the way, I also noticed that, um, musicians lend themselves to douche douchiness as well. Cause it's the second one on my list. I've got a couple of my honorable mentions too. Um, and so he's like this, uh, this wannabe rock star that, uh, gives her crap for actually getting chosen for the singing competition. Uh, the second she's out of the picture, he starts, uh, he starts dating and singing with somebody else. Um, when he, when she starts getting too much of the spotlight, uh, he's like, he's like, remember, I'm the lead singer. You're the backup singer. You, you just kind of ruined my songs. And when she suggests maybe writing her own song, he's like, Hey, you can't, not everyone can write their own songs. I know I make it look easy, but it's not. It's like, Oh dude, you're such a douche. He's an idiot. And, uh, and yeah, so. I, I had to put him on there because, and and it, it it seems like a kind of a random one, but if you've seen the movie, you know he is like a legit douchebag in this movie, and uh, I've seen this movie quite a bit because my son loves it, so uh, I get I get to see his douchiness on display quite often. So number three, Lance from Sing. I was putting my money on Zach having a non-human character <laughs> because because he had a non-human stick man. <laughs> I did. Yeah, you had like the tramp. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> tramp is also sort of a douche too. It's a good one. All right, Zach, number three. All right, number three comes from I think it's our first Tarantino movie we've mentioned. Uh, from maybe my favorite Tarantino movie, which is Kill Bill Volume Two, and this is uh, the <laughs> Bud's <is>, boss. <laughs> it's got. A, I was thinking about that. <laughs> Uh, this is the character of Larry, Bud's boss, at uh, the strip club. 
Um, I love this character. He's only in one scene, so I had to debate a little bit whether to put him on the list. But if you're talking about biggest douchebags, I mean, Larry uh, excels in his own right. He chastises Bud for showing up late. Um, he uh, basically fires Bud. And uh, worse, uh, he makes Bud clean up the, uh, the bathroom, the dirty bathroom that Rocket was in. He also chastises Bud's hat, which I think is a daring fashion choice on Bud's part and uh, shouldn't be criticized. So uh, number three, Larry from uh, Kill Bill Volume 2. That's a perfect choice. That is a good choice. <laughs> Todd, number two. Uh, my number two is Fred O'Banion, played by Ben Affleck in Days to Confused. Uh, like, <laughs> Affleck looks like a douche in real life, and O'Banion is, like, the high school douchebag picture definition. Like, I mean, he's getting held back for his fifth year, so he could play high school football another year, but, I mean, he's just as into the freshman hazing as he was the previous year. He has, like, he has that fuck you paddle, and then he licks it at one point, and then he's, and then he, uh, I don't know, he... He waits for Mitch Kramer after the baseball game. He has a complete douchebag car. I, he, he doesn't even give up being that douchey badass when he gets a shotgun pulled on him at one point. I don't know. He's just one of the most intolerable characters I've ever seen, and uh, I could not make the list without <laughs> O'Banion. I mean, if somebody's got to be the badass, he's going to do it two years in a row, you know? I like it. I like it. Thank you. All right. Uh, number two on my list is my submission from the 90s. Uh, much like what Zach was saying about Kevin Bacon, I think this actor was born to play douchebags. And uh, the one I chose was uh, the role of Ernie Cappadino in A League of Their Own, brought to you by John Lovitz. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, he, he, is, he is the talent scout that comes and finds Gina Davis and, uh, and Lori Petty and brings them to go play in the Girls Baseball League. Every word he says just resounds douchebag. Um <laughs> uh, d- doesn't that hurt them? Uh, <laughs> haven't you ever heard of a leaf? <laughs> you see, the way it works is the train moves, not the station. Uh, he's just, you know, if I had your job, I'd kill myself. Hold on, let me see if I can dig up a pistol. Uh, <laughs> every word he says... It's grass, don't eat it. Yeah, see, cowgirls, <laughs> see the grass, don't eat it. Uh, <laughs> He's 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 such a douchebag, but he he's he's John Lovitz too. So he's a lovable douchebag. He is a lovable douchebag in everything that he does. And it's one of my favorite movies, and it's one of my favorite. It's my favorite role that he ever did. So uh, Ernie Cappadino, League of Their Own, number two. That was an amazing John Lovitz impression. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you had such a good John Lovitz impression. That's impressive. Well, he's go. practiced. Believe me. <laughs> I've had practice. <laughs> Uh, all right, Zach, number two. All right, number two comes from one of my favorite uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies. We're talking about our favorite directors. And uh, the movie is Punch Drunk Love, and the role is Dean Trumbull, played by none other than our our perpetual MVP on this podcast, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I know we've I've talked about him a little bit on this podcast already, but, uh, you know, th- this, is the, this is the douchiest that he ever got, which is saying something. Um, you know, he owns a mattress company outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, with his brothers, and on the side, he runs a phone sex hotline um what makes him especially douchey is that when he tells his brothers to go beat up uh adam sandler and drive to la and beat him up he won't even pay for the gas he says like you know keep the keep the receipts maybe i'll be able to pay you back um he's just a total jerk and uh yeah um yeah you know the just the hair the, the the wardrobe the the attitude um 
per, perpetual douchey. Um, you know, maybe John Lovitz could have played it. Maybe Kevin Bacon could have played it. But it's it's a great Paul Tom or uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman role and a great Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So uh, number two, Dean Trumbull. Very nice. Awesome. Good one. Good one. He he does do a do a good uh, a good uh, a good douchebag. All right, Todd, number one. Todd's gonna have my number one. I know it. I don't think it's gonna be an. Well, maybe. Okay, so Zach actually turned me on to this, so I don't know if that narrows it down at all. But I went with none other than Tucker Max, and I hope they serve beer in hell, because he is such a douchebag. It's a real, a real person. He that he wrote a book about his douchebag escapades, uh, from which the movie was made, and he's a classic narcissist and all around horrible person. He, the title of his books are I hope they serve beer in hell and assholes finish first. If that doesn't say what kind of a douchebag he is, like, he gets like uninvited to his friend's wedding because he gets in so much trouble at a strip club that they couldn't actually like have him go anymore, and he constantly makes fun of his like socially awkward buddy. And uh, I don't know, he, he always is always out for himself and his own interests. He mostly aligned with booze and sex. And anyone who who goes by Tucker Max has a ten out of ten douchebag rating. I, I could not think of anybody who would ever top that. <laughs> that had to be my number one. It's a good one. It's a good one. <clears throat> Crosses literary and cinematic uh, boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Very innovative. All right. It was a movie, though, so I'm not completely going off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My number one uh, is uh, the first name I thought of when I thought of the biggest douchebags in film history. Uh, Todd totally called it, too. He knew what my number one was going to be. Because there was none other than Harry Ellis from Die Hard. That could be considered the greatest mm-hmm. douchebag in film history. Uh, Ellis, is, he's an—he's just an idiot. Uh, he's one of those idiot douchebags where he doesn't really know what's going on, but he thinks he is—he is the greatest gift to humankind ever. And uh, and when when the terrorists come in, and he decides he's gonna—he's gonna be the one that figures it all out. And 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 some of his great lines, he he walks up to uh, to Hans Gruber and says, "Hey, Sprechen Sie talk." And, and, uh, hey, hey, babe, I negotiate million dollar deals for breakfast. I think I can handle this Euro trash. And, uh, yeah, then, then he's talking to, uh, he's talking to, to Hans Gerber and he goes, Hans, Bubby, I'm your white knight. <laughs> he's such an idiot. And, uh, to the point where John McClane is like, dude, you are just the worst. And that's why he's number one on the list. Alice. Alice. Alice? What have you told him, Alice? You guys went with, like, movies that you guys actually have admiration for. I just went with, like, the characters I despise the most, regardless of that. (laughs) However, I will say, Alice has a little bit of of redeeming value. Because when he gets in that room and he gets on the walkie-talkie with John McClane, and he says, what did you tell him, Alice? And he told him they were old old buddies. He didn't rat him out as being Holly's husband. He he told him that they were old buddies, so it didn't he didn't start going after after Holly. Or maybe he knew that was the only way he was going to get on the walkie-talkie with him. I don't know. But either way, Ellis is just yeah, he's the worst. Zach number one. All right. Well, 
My number one was so obvious that I actually didn't want to go with it. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of an audible here because I thought for sure it was going to be Todd's number one, or at least appear on either of your lists. I'm shocked, shocked, like Louis Renault and Casablanca, that it wasn't on anyone's list. Uh, number one douche of all time is obvious, and that is from a uh, the character of Clark, played by Scott William Winters in a little 1997 film called Goodwill Hunting, a.k.a. The Apples Guy. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that is the reason why Michael I came Bolton up with clone. this list. Yes. So The Apples Guy is, uh, you know, he's a, a grad student at, uh, at Harvard, and, uh, you know, he, uh, he's really, you know, pretty eager to talk up uh, ladies at the bar, talk about, you know, the Revolutionary War, the economic modalities, especially in the southern cal uh, colonies, which could aptly be described as a, a growing pre-capitalist. But, uh, you know, when Will Hunting comes up to him and calls him out on his bullshit, uh, like how he's finished reading some Marxist historian, Pete Garrison probably, and then how he's going to move next month to, to James Lemon and talk about how the economies of Virginia and Pennsylvania were entrepreneurial and capitalist, and then go back to regurgitating Gordon, Gordon Wood. Um, yeah, this guy uh, with his ponytail and uh, you know his uh, his uh, little cadre behind him. Um, you know, uh, even even when he says, "Yeah, we'll all have a degree, and you'll be serving my friends, my kids' fries at a drive-through on our way up on to a skiing trick." I mean, how, how much more douchey can you get? So uh, when you think douche in in the encyclopedia, there is a picture of the Apples guy um, in, in uh, Goodwill Hunting. Props also for his appearance in uh, 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 the, uh, what was it? Um, gosh, for, oh, it's this, Al it's a stupid PBR, it's getting me. Um, uh, <laughs> that, I don't think Jane Silent Bob Strike, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, I'm sorry. He has an appearance oh, yeah. in Good Goodwill Hunting too. Uh, Hunting season, season, right? Hunting season, excuse me. Yeah, so maybe it's a, it's a dual number one for that movie and Goodwill Hunting. Anyway, uh, he's the epitome of douchiness and uh, it's, you should be ashamed that he's not on either of your lists. <laughs> what about Tucker Max? Tucker Max is <laughs> like, he knows he's a douche and he still, he wrote books about it. <laughs> Zach, I think you should be ashamed of the fact that the PBR is getting to you. <laughs> that that's also pretty douchey in itself as well. It is. It is. I think Gordon Wood sounds like a douche too, though. Go you mean Gordon Wood? Gordon Wood. <laughs> All right, Todd. Do you have any honorable mentions for us? I do. I have quite a few, uh, but I went with TV, so I have a, a few from that. Uh, I have Ari Gold, uh, played by Jeremy Piven in Entourage. Just, I mean, S is douchey as it gets, along with everybody else in Entourage, honestly. Then I have Slider from Top Gun. I'm surprised you didn't have that, Terry. Yeah, Slider he, is the he, biggest douche. Yeah, he is. He's on my honorable mentions. <laughs> uh, all of JT Marlin in Boiler Room, every one of them is a douche, especially Ben Affleck once again. Uh, Thad Castle <laughs> from uh, Blue Mountain State. Uh, yeah. I mean, not no words needed. Dennis and Mac, both uh, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Bryce Walker from 13 Reasons Why is kind of obvious. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Joey Quinn from Dexter. I, I thought, <laughs> I almost uh... had him on my list until Trisha gave me uh, Schmidt. And then uh, the one that I really was, I thought of at the last minute, so I couldn't put him on, was uh, Buzz from Home Alone. I, I mean, he was a douche at, like, one. what, 12 or whatever he was, but I mean, I'm sure he grew up to be the biggest asshole in his, in his late teens, early 20s. I'm going to feed you to my pet tarantula. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been definitely the youngest character on the list, though. Oh, yes. Other than maybe that porcupine. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, so my, I've got a ton of honorable mentions, too. Uh Possibly the the greatest like douchebag villain of all time, Jim Taylor from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. 
He he's a he's like the ultimate villain douchebag. Uh, Principal Vernon, the Breakfast Club, uh, Iceman nice. and Slider. I had them together because you know they're they they work together and especially Slider because you know. Well, you Iceman's just cocky, but Slider Slider is way douchier than Iceman. Yeah, he is. He really is. Uh, Alexander Knox from Batman, played by Robert Wool. He's he's pretty terrible. Uh, Doctor Chilton from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, oh, good yeah, one. yeah. Nice. That think of a psychiatrist. Uh, Jimmy, that thing you do, the lead singer. That that uh, yeah. Again, another mm-hmm. douchebag musician. Um, and boy, the room character. Yeah, uh, Dewey Finn, uh, School of Rock. He's a douchebag. Uh, Steve from the Italian Job, played by Edward Norton, uh, who just you know goes through the whole thing and then steals all the gold at, at the end, and he has no originality and just buys one of what everyone else was going to buy with their money. Um, that was clever, though. It was. It was. Uh, Sandy Lyle from Along Came Polly, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman again. That one's pretty great. Uh, Let it rain. Uh, Max Bialystok from The Producers. <laughs> He's a douchebag. Um, Which one was that? Was that's that... Uh, that's Nathan Lane. Uh, uh, and uh, then you've got uh, Jack Black's character from King Kong. He's he's quite the douchebag. And then uh, then my final two, uh, you've got all of Steve Carell's friends in 40-Year-Old Virgin. And uh, yeah. emo Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3. Ooh. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Zach, what do you got? Okay, uh, well, I have uh, Danny, uh, Shelley's ex-husband in My Girl, which I feel like is a movie we might talk about soon. Yes. I don't know. It's just a foresight. That's a good um, one. Uh, Jackie Swag, Jack Swaggart from Apollo 13. Um, he's not Harvey a douchebag. Con- he's a bit of a douchebag. Let's get real, okay? <laughs> Going to manual. So that's a douche move. Um, uh, Harvey Keitel as Sport in Taxi Driver. Um, I, O'Banion has to be. I mean, I, it's a shame. I'm ashamed that I don't have O'Banion on my top five. The only reason I didn't have him is because Todd mentioned him. But of course, it's a great pick. <laughs> uh, Wade Gustafson in uh, Fargo. Actually, there's a lot of characters in Fargo you could go with. You could go with William H Macy. But but I, but I you like, can't uh, go like with the, Fargo. The, you can't go with Fargo. So I couldn't put it on my list. Um, Lance, the drug dealer, uh, played by Eric Stoltz in Pulp Fiction, as he kind of just sits on his couch eating Cheerios as uh, Uma Thurman's about to, to overdose. Is Lance, uh, just, is Lance just a douchebag name? I, I, I think so. My, my brother-in-law's name is Lance, so it checks out. It's your I last chance, Lance Vance. Lance <laughs> Vance. <laughs> Lance Vance dance. Uh, Got enough of uh, that in school. <laughs> Uh, two more quick ones. Uh, Jeff Goldblum as Malcolm in Jurassic Park, well, the Jurassic Park movies. And then uh, finally, Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. I mean, that guy's a total Ooh, douchebag. that's a good one. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I forgot to add in, one of my honorable mentions is Christian from Midsummer. <laughs> yep, a lot of douches yeah. in that yeah, movie. A lot he, of douchebags very, in that movie. <laughs> very, actually, he really makes a strong case for being a all-time great movie dude. He, he does. He does. He I, looks like. I mean, even like how how he shaved his beard. Like he looks. He just looks like a douche from like moment one. You see him, and then and then he steals the guy's thesis. I mean that that's just yeah. He's the worst. Okay, he was drugged. <laughs> it's okay. He got, he he has to eat a pube, so you know. He has his comeuppance. Yeah, and the mom was like, that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, All right, so 
the last thing that we have for power rankings is we need to play our game. We're going to guess Adam's list. This is Adam Daly of uh, one of our AlmostSideways.com contributors. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Adam Sideways. Uh, let's see what we came up with for his list and who gets to pick our next power rankings. Todd, what do you have as Adam's top five? All right, I feel confident about this, but I've said in the past it didn't work out. Uh, my number five is Tony Stark uh, from Iron Man. Definitely a douchebag. Number four, Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. Ooh, good one. Number three, Biff Tannen from Back to the Future. Number two, Steve Stifler from American Pie. And number one is Joey Tribbiani from Friends. Because, I mean, it has to be, right? <laughs> That's a good one. Those yeah. are all really good. Yep, yep. Thank you. That's I, as good as I felt since the I did the snow the snow list uh, predicting of Adam's list. <laughs> so I always try to go with ones that I don't think of because there's so rarely any overlap on these lists. So... So uh, here's my list. Uh, number five, Peter Pettigrew from the Harry Potter movies. And in fact, you could go with pretty much any Timothy Spall character is a douchebag. Um, Tony Stark from Iron Man is my number four. Number three, Lando Calrissian, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, number two, Jack from Sideways. And number one, I have Wooderson from Days and Confused. Wooderson? Yeah. You mean O'Banion? No, Wooderson. I went with Wooderson. Oh, Wow. He's not it. Well, okay. I'm not, he's too dumb he's, to be a douche. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, Although Banyan he, did he's, get he's help back. Charming. <laughs> he, he's a charming douchebag. <laughs> there are I'm, so I'm many different up. levels of douchebag that we're, we're realizing. I mean, I this. think the, the most basic definition of douchebag is someone you wouldn't want to hang out with. And, and I would hang out with, with Wooderson. Yeah, I wouldn't hang out with O'Banion. He's just intolerable. No. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wooderson's, Wooderson's pretty bad, too. But yes, you would hang out with him. He's the cool douchebag. I would take a giant, comically oversized mallet to uh, O'Banion. <laughs> um, anyway, my, my list for Adam went uh, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, Mark Wahlberg in The Departed, uh, Jason Lee in Almost Famous. I'm surprised we didn't bring that one up. Uh, Apple's Guy in Goodwill Hunting, and number one biggest douche, Han Solo. Oh. Okay. Multiple Star Wars characters mentioned. <laughs> 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 I like it. We're, we're really we're really going for it here. Okay, he's got to have Stifler though. That that's he's got to be on the list. All right, uh, here we go. Adam's list, honorable mention. He's got uh, Nathan Drake from the Uncharted video game franchise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I should have said it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, he had also he has uh, in his honorable mentions Daniel's son from uh, the Karate Kid, played by Ralph Macchio. Clearly cheats, but somehow still wins. Um, Tony Stark from the MCU. Uh. Yeah, that's that sucks. Uh, Dennis Nedry, played by Wayne Knight in uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, the movie. Uh, King Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones. Oh, good. That's a great. That one. is a great that's one. A, that, that's a he great is one. the ultimate. The ultimate douchebag. Yes. And uh, his last honorable mention is Merlot in Sideways. <laughs> it's not a bad. That's not a bad one. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, okay. Because douchebags drink Merlot. Exactly. <laughs> so instead of just naming someone, just name the drink. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number five, uh, Bill Lumberg from Office Space. That's a good one. Right. Uh, number four, Hockley from Titanic. 
Uh, number three, Dexter Morgan from Dexter. Dexter? Yeah, what? I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, number two, uh, this is kind of similar to one of Todd's uh, honorable mentions, but it's the employees of Stratton Oakmont uh, in The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> it's like yeah. the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, num- and number one, Harry Ellis from Die Hard. Wow. I don't think any of us got anything. Oh, Todd and I both no, had did. Tony Stark that was in his honorable mentions. I had him five, you had him four, so I was closer to getting it to the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. Well, and, and Zach had somebody from Jurassic Park. I, Jurassic Park. Just the wrong person. Uh, and Zach, I don't know. Let's see here. I had Ellis Terry on my list. Terry at least had overlap. What? You yeah, had overlap had, well, on so your did, list. So did Zach, because Zach had Hockley on his list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I had Hockley fifth, he had him fourth. I, I had Ellis one, and he had him one. Yeah. I th- I, uh, yeah. Are we just going to give Ben a tenth of a point and give us each a third of a point, or three tenths? <laughs> I think, Terry, you win because you and him had the same, and you had... Tony Stark? You had Tony Stark, but... I had a closer, oh, Todd, though. Todd makes a good point, though, that he had a closer. <laughs> <laughs> I had a sideways character, and he had Merlot. Like you know, you know, Jack would drink Merlot if if. Uh... That was honorable mention, though. We had nothing on his top five. No, we didn't. We didn't. I'm trying. I'm trying to make a make a case for something here. Uh, I don't know. I yeah. I think I think it just needs to be point uh, three across the board. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, Ben gets Good another point one. <laughs> to, to round it out and uh because even you said terry his stratton oakmont thing was kind of like what todd said yeah the same idea as what he said it, with boiler room yeah well, yeah that, but I, a, that was not on my list that was on my list not a yeah yeah not my predictions and and i think i get a i get a pick next time because uh we each had the same number one and zach stole my uh stole my picking rights this time so you gave it to him yeah, I know. And then, and then, low key. As soon as I heard the category, I was like, "Why did I give it to him?" <laughs> okay. So that's a uh, that's our. Uh, I think all this shows is just how many great douchebags there are out there that you could pick. Especially in the '90s. Yeah, especially in the '90s. All right, trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Now, before we get into uh, into our trivia game, uh, we have a review to do for this. Zach won trivia last time, and for winning, he had Todd and myself watch My Girl, which for some reason neither of us had seen. I'd seen bits and pieces of it, but I'd never seen the whole thing. Um, and so Todd... Why don't you start it off? What do you think of My Girl? Okay, uh, My Girl is a movie made in 1991 by Howard Zeif. I think you probably say it that way. Uh, the main character is Veda Sultanfuss, played by Anna Klumsky. And she's a precocious young girl whose father operates a funeral home, and uh, she's friends with this kid, Thomas Sennett, who's played exactly the way you would expect him to be played by Macaulay Culkin. Um, they're both kind of weird, definitely social outcasts, and um, 
they spend their days riding bikes together, messing around, probably just to get away from their boring home lives and the dead bodies. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> dead bodies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. The movies, I mean, it's kind of soapy and lame. It's definitely a wannabe tearjerker early 90s movie, but it's not really as sophisticated as River Runs Through It or The Man in the Moon. Uh, the emotional beats don't really work all that well, I don't think. I, I, uh, I, I don't really feel any connection to the random relationships that Veda uh, latresses off onto. Like, we're supposed to care that um, that she's, like, in love with her teacher, and that she's a hypochondriac, and that her father's getting remarried, and that, uh, something's happening to Thomas, I, I don't know, I, the problem is I don't really care, and, uh, I don't think it's really all that well written or directed, I, I don't think Clumsy's all that good of an actress either, I think tons of girls at that time could have played that role, and I don't, I, I mean, I think it kind of has some funny moments, but I, I mean, I, I like the idea of getting raised by an Undertaker. Like, that's one of the reasons why Six Feet Under is one of my favorite shows. But, I, I don't know. I, I could see how it could be affecting if you saw it when you were a child, but I didn't, so I don't really care. I give it two stars. And once again, Todd proves that he doesn't have a heart. I give this three and a half stars. This movie was amazing. Uh, I thought Anna, I thought Anna Klumsky was awesome. She's such a, she did such an amazing job. I thought and I no I I thought this was yeah maybe it's because I work with kids that I I just got it and it it understood kids in the way it, it presented this. I thought it was a great movie. Todd is apoplectic. Yeah, right he now. is. He he's, is. He's in shock. It, uh, the the ending is is extremely moving. I thought and I I don't know I. It was it was an awesome movie. Yeah, it moved me to grab my beer because I did not <laughs> care. <laughs> You're cynical and jaded, man. He is. He is. And Thank this is you. coming Does from about as cynical bag? and jaded of a person as you can find. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, you I didn't loved even, it. You, you didn't even like the seven. You didn't even mention the seventies. I mean, that that plays a huge role in this movie. You know, like it's the beginning of the sexual revolution, and you got this. You didn't even mention Dan Aykroyd or or, or Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie. They're they're terrific. You know, I love their relationship in this movie. I love how you know he gets the stupid advice from his brother about you know it's a feminist revolution. You can't open a door for a woman anymore. I mean, that, that's a great first date scene, and uh, you know, I, I I like the evolution of these characters a lot. I mean, they change over the course of the summer. This is a wonderful movie, and it's not just a kids movie. I think it's very much a movie that everyone could enjoy because it it has a lot of I think pop culture references that are funny and it has a lot of adult themes in this movie too. It's it's he a falls wonderful in movie. love with his corpse's makeup artist. <laughs> hey, you know what? She is a makeup artist and uh, you know, she comes from the world of she wants to get get into Hollywood. Just don't see the sequel, okay? Cuz I mentioned this is how the movie came up was on the last podcast. The, the, the sequel's terrible, but uh, you were I mean, you're you're soulless, Todd. You weren't moved by the end of this movie. I mean, that's her, her poem at the end is is wonderful. I I mean, I, I guess it was inevitable. I sh I, 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 I immediately second guess myself assigning it to you because I I knew this would be the reaction. But I don't know. I also I mean, Griffin Dunn's relationship with his student is also really bad. Like, I mean, he pro he's totally in love with her too. That's a problem. What? Anna Clumps? No, he's getting married. Like. And if anything, he has a thing for the, the, the blonde who talks about, you know, flesh a la mesh, you know? Have, you know but... I really like the hippie what? dude in the writing class. Yes, he's awesome, he awesome in the movie. I don't think I'm allowed to feel your aura. 
flesh all a mesh or ice cream all a mode. It's all about love. It's all, it's all like about that. desire, man. Desire. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I kind of had a feeling we were going to disagree on that one. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, amazing. <clears throat> that is a, that's a strong word. For it such is a strong word. Fluff. It's a four-star movie, and it's a top 100 movie of all time for me. But that's because I grew up with it. Yeah, so, That's what I said, yeah. I mean, if it, I saw it, it, seen it when I was a child, maybe, but... It very much shaped and informed my opinions of life. And, and <laughs> I, but, I mean, if you think about it, this movie has very, some very deep philosophical themes. I mean, there's discussions about the afterlife and, you know, what happens when people die. And I, I, you know, just just read Roger Ebert's review of this movie, because he also loved this movie, too. And this movie is very much about oh, shocker something. shocker there. Well, yeah, but, you know, it's a, it's a good movie on its own, too. Okay. Well, let's get into trivia. Zach, what are we doing? All right, so uh, we haven't done a straight trivia category about the Oscars in a while, mostly because of our trivia categories have been about the movies that we've done deep dives for. So we're only doing, we're not going to do the back and forth thing where you get off the, you know, where you put on mute and take off your headphones. We only got one category, and that category today is list of actors or actresses nominated for Academy Awards for performances where they did not speak English. Now, what you're going to have to do with this category is you're going to have to give me the name of the actor, actress. You're going to have to give me the name of the film. And then perhaps most importantly, you're going to have to give me the language that they use in the film. So now, if they speak English and another language, does that count? Um, there are a few on this list. I'm getting this list from a, uh, from a website. There are a few on this list that do speak English along with the foreign language. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give, I'll try to give you the benefit of the doubt. If you, if you mention the, the main foreign language that they speak, but they also speak English, I'll still give you a point for it. But do try to include English if you remember them speaking English. But I, again, I'm going to try to give you the benefit of the doubt on them. So if so they again, speak the, any English, we, we have to say they spoke English? Um... Yeah, try to. But again, I, I'm not going to be too too hard on it. But uh, try just mostly ma- mention their the main language in which they speak. Most of these, I will tell you, most of the most of the people on this list only speak one language. There are a few that speak uh, multiple languages. Um, so uh, as a, how, as a reminder, how long yeah, is the list? Uh, it's a pretty long list. I don't have a set number, okay. but I would guess it's at least forty. So um, again. These are in all the acting categories. Some are winners, some are nominees. Um, they were nominated for Oscars in performances in which they spoke a language other than English, predominantly other than English. So I'm gonna lose. <laughs> I'm gonna start. I'm going to uh, get my list ready, and I'm going to uh, start uh, with Todd. All right, I'm going. So we have to name the actor, the uh, movie, and the language, right? Not the character. Correct. No, just the just the okay. actor. Okay, so I'm going with Holly Hunter, uh, sign language, and the piano. That is correct. Uh, Roberto Benigni uh, for Life Is Beautiful, Italian. Correct. Uh, Emmanuel Riva Amour, uh, French. 
Correct. Marion Cotillard, Lavian Rose, French. That is correct. Marion Cotillard, Two Days, One Night, French. That is also correct. Uh, Javier Bardem for Beautiful Spanish. That is correct. Uh, Penelope Cruz, Volver, Spanish. Correct. See, I knew it wasn't going to go well for me. Um, oh, come on. Uh, hmm. Does a silent film count? Uh, one of them may have uh, been from your number one film of last year. <laughs> one of them may have been from my number one film of last year. What kind of clue is that, dude? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Yalitza Aparicio uh, for um, uh, Roma uh, Spanish. Hey, there you go. Good one. Maria de Tavira, Roma Spanish. Correct. <laughs> um, okay, okay, hold on. Just give me a sec. Uh, uh, oh, oh, um, uh, Isabelle Luper for L, and she spoke French. Correct. Nicely done. Uh, uh, Benicio del Toro, Spanish traffic. Correct. You, you didn't answer me. Do silent films count? Uh, no, there's, there's. Uh, they spoke. Uh, they spoke body language. <laughs> <laughs> silent films do not count. <laughs> uh, no, 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 Jean Dujardin. No, no, Jean Dujardin. Technically, he spoke French at the end of that movie, I think. No, he spoke English. English. Okay. Well, he's not on the list. He's not on the list. Okay. Um, Got anything? Oh, I should. Um, Need five more seconds? Um, Mary McDonald dances with wolves. Native American. Uh, well, Native American's not a language. Well, but 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 what, what a Native American dialect. <laughs> um, she's not on my list. Um, I don't. I remember her speaking mostly English in that movie. Yeah. Um, it was my last ditch effort. I'm gonna say no. Okay. But uh, ad- admirably done. I think you were just delaying the inevitable. Yeah, I was. Quite frankly, I was. Terry. Todd, do you have any more that you were going to say? Well, I was going to say, uh, what's his name? Massimo Troisi, oh, Italian. Yes, gosh. correct. Correct. I mean, and honestly, Anna Paquin speaks a lot of sign language in the piano, too. I was going to say her if I had to. Um, yeah, but she speaks mostly English, though. She and that's why I asked if we could, uh, if you could use ones that do speak that another language in English. But um, I was thinking uh, missing, Jose Ferrer. Um, oh, how about Catalina Sandina Moreno and, for Maria Full Grace spoke Spanish? Uh, and, yes, that would have been correct. Uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, that's what I was going with. Well, he's not on the list, so... I don't know, I've never seen Cyrano de Bergerac. I thought that movie was in English. The 1950 version? I'm pretty sure that's in French. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure it's in English. I'm trying to remember the Jose Ferrer was a, was a, was American. I mean, um, I'm trying to remember the... Gerard Depardieu maybe. And then I guess Gerard Depardieu is on the list. Okay. Yes, for 1990s Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah. What about what about um, the guy who was nominated for uh, Last Emperor? Did he speak English or Chinese? I don't think anyone was nominated for yeah, Last no Emperor. One was. was it no? Um, oh, I thought um, I thought there was a guy. I was thinking uh, also the uh, what uh, Before Night Falls. I was thinking yeah. that too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 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 Javier Bardem for Before yeah. Night Falls. Yeah. I, I'll mention a, f- a, f- a few others. Um, Sally Hawkins would have counted for American Sign oh, Language in The Shape of yeah. Water. Oh, nice. Um, Damien B- Bashir for A Better Life. Um, this list had Christoph Waltz for Inglorious. I was going to say him. I guess I I would have reluctantly accepted it, but I think it's a bit of a for a, every a language cheat. that he speaks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Adriana Barraza for Babel. Oh, Michael Kikuchi for Babel. Uh, um, Samantha Morton for Sweet and Lowdown, Sign Language again. Um, Catherine mm. Deneuve for Indochine. Graham Greene for Dances with Wolves, Speaks Lakota. Marley Matlin for Children of a Lesser God. That's surprising that you missed. Mm. Robert oh, De Niro yeah. for The Godfather Part Two. I mean, that's sort of uh, where this list oh. sort of originates. Um, Pat, Patty Duke for The Miracle Worker. Sophia Loren for Two Women, which was the first performance to win an Oscar in a different language. So, I don't know, it's, it, it, there's quite a few older nominees, but in the last two years, there, there have been uh, several. This list also had Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, but again, I think that's sort of cheap. That is cheap. Yeah. Okay. So, to the victor go the spoil. Yes, yes, again. yes. Oh, I knew as soon as you said it, I, there was no way. No way I'm winning that, that trivia game. You, you did have a few of the ones that I jotted down right off the bat, though, so... Yeah. That's pretty good. And honestly, I don't know if I would have had some of the ones I had if we hadn't been playing that game for the last week, uh, going through Oscar nominees. <laughs> There's no way no. I have Javier Bardem for Beautiful unless we just went through that year. Uh-huh. Well, you wouldn't yeah. even have had Roma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that, yeah. Nope. All right. Let's move on and finish this up with our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Todd, you get to go first. All right. My quote is from the movie I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell from Tucker (laughs) Max displaying how much of a douchebag he is. This is his toast at one point. He says... Here's to the people we've met and the people we've fucked, and to those of us who had no such luck. Here's to the beer in the glass and the vodka in the cup. Here's to poking her in the ass so we don't so she don't get knocked up. Here's to all of you and here's to me. Together, friends, we should always be. But if we ever disagree, then fuck all of you and here's to me. And that is the most douchebag toast of all time. Yes. I don't think that can be argued with. <laughs> okay. Zach, quote. Uh, my quote comes from the character of Larry in Kill Bill Volume 2. And uh, it's when Bud has... Well, it's the only scene in the movie with Larry, so we know what scene it is. And uh, it's when Larry says to Bud, You're saying that the reason that you're not doing the job that I'm paying you to do is that you don't have a job to do? Is that what you're saying? What are you trying to convince me of exactly? That you're as useless as an asshole right here? Well, guess what, buddy? I think you just fucking convinced me. 
And that's the way I feel about this podcast sometimes. <laughs> Useless as an asshole right here. Yep. Uh, all right. So for my quote, originally, I, for my quote, I was going to uh, quote the lyrics to the uh, Infant Sorrow song, Inside of You, until Zach already sang it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's fine. I butchered that. Uh, uh, you did, you did. So I, I, I moved on to uh, to one that Todd and I equally agree should be on our honorable mention of douchebags, and that is Slider from Top Gun. Uh, I've got a couple great quotes from Slider here. Uh, first, uh, you have him talking to Goose, and he says, Goose, whose butt did you kiss to get in here anyway? And Goose says, the list is long but distinguished. Yeah, well, so is my Johnson. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> And then, uh, and then there's another uh, exchange between Slider and Goose, where he goes, "Remember, boys, no points for second place." Goose just says, "You're a lot brighter than you look." <laughs> oh, shut up! Yeah, but the yep. the first one's better. Slider, yeah, I was shocked you didn't include him Slider. on your actual list. Yeah, you, you had stink. the Wizard of Oz, dude. Wizard of Oz. <laughs> he's a douchebag. He's he's charming and uh, you know uh, avuncular. Not douchey. Uh, or or the, there's this one where, uh, where yeah, he's laughing at us. Right on the radio, he's laughing at us. And Slider, that was me laughing, dickhead. <laughs> Slider is a douchebag. He really should have been on my list. I might change my list. He's got to be number five. But see, then I already have someone from the 80s. I ruined it. Oh, well. With that, our podcast comes to a close. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back uh soon with our next deep dive which we got to decide what we're doing we haven't decided that yet i'll uh, i'll post it on twitter once we decide what our next deep dive is so you guys can uh, can follow along and uh we will catch you then until then uh have fun watching movies despite your crass behavior i'm glad we were able to do this together